Good morning. It's been a year since I've seen you. And uh, I was telling you, it's just kind of like homecoming for me. Uh, I've known a number of you for years, and it's, it's just good. First of all, I want to thank you, Central, for including FCA. I'm with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, I met some with Coach uh, Pastor Jenkins, and uh, we were talking about FCA, and, and you've included us on your missions budget. And uh, I thank you for that. As Tiffany said earlier, uh, music is one way that we can influence the world for Christ. Another way is through sports. Sports and music. And that's what FCA tries to do. The sports part, not the music part, but the the sports part. Um, People ask, um, what do we do in the summer when school's out? Do we kind of take vacation or slow down? We change gears. Uh, We go into camp mode. Uh, we uh, have what we call sports outreach camps. We, we uh, invite professional coaches to come in, college coaches. We use local coaches. A kid 7 to 13 will sign up. Uh, they'll, they'll get great clinic training on that sport, but also they're divided up into small huddles where they hear about Jesus every day. Every day we have the plan of salvation. Basically it's the Roman Bridge, Chapter 6, but we modified it for sports. The key to all of this, though, is the huddle leader, and that's who we train. I'm the pastor of the camp. We had four camps. We had two camps already. We've got two more uh, in about three weeks. There should be close to 1,200 children attend these camps, 1,200. And every one of them will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because you're part of our partnership at Central Press. And we cannot thank you enough. Last time I preached, I mentioned the, the ten lepers, and one came back to say thank you. I thank you. Thank you for your generosity. One of the things they asked me to do is uh, to train these interns. There's about 35 that commit the entire month of June. Uh, they do two counts, but they also have to go through training. The first eight days, we call it spiritual boot camp. Uh, they asked me to teach how to share your faith so that a 9-year-old or 7-year-old or 6-year-old or 10-year-old child can understand. But also they asked me to teach uh, Bible 101. Uh, if I had a son, uh, by the way, I have a grandson, and I've got pictures later if you'd like to know, uh, see those, uh, and a granddaughter. And uh, uh, if I had a son or a daughter at that age, I'd like for them to go through that training. It's almost pure discipleship. The things they've learned here over the years, they're able to articulate so that a nine-year-old child can understand. But one thing I enjoy doing is share my faith. The second thing I enjoy is teaching the scriptures. And what I'd like to do with you today is share just a portion of Romans chapter 8, which I've entitled, and it's it's up for debate. Uh, It's the greatest chapter of the greatest book of all times. If you do have your Bibles in front of you, uh, in fact, we encourage our youth to bring their Bibles. And uh, even when they're, we give them an FCA Bible at the camps. And if they make a profession of faith, a recommitment, they meet with me on that last day. And I show them how to get started in their faith, how to grow in their faith. And then basically I say, start with the book of John, read one chapter a day. But also take your Bibles to your churches if you have churches. And what broke my heart 
there's a lot of things that break my heart, but what broke my heart uh, this last camp, we had a lot of conversions, professions of faith, recommitments, and they all met. There were about 90 of the kids came, and I asked them if they had a home church, and a dozen said they did not have a home church. And uh, we just need to get the kids in the home church where they begin to understand the gospel and begin to grow in their faith. So I said, uh, take your, if you have a church, take your Bible with you, and when the pastor gets up to preach, bring out your Bible and go to that chapter and go to that scripture and follow along. And that's what we're trying to teach them. So I thought we'd do the same thing this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 8, greatest chapter of the greatest book ever written. Uh, but before we do, let me open us in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day of worship. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would they be acceptable in your sight? In the name of Jesus, amen. Chapter 8, greatest chapter, greatest book ever written. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to read three verses. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's it, it's 39 verses, so I'm going to take a little bit out of time. In fact, this is going to be, we're going to do this. This is going to be a tour. Uh, it's kind of like um, I'm your tour guide for this morning. And you were going to a great museum, art museum, and it's, it's full of precious works of art. Or maybe we go to uh, the Tower of London where all the crown gems, the crown jewels are there. Or, in our case, maybe it's uh, Cooperstown. Uh, baseball Hall of Fame. And uh, I love Jesus, but I'm not real sophisticated, but I love baseball too. So let's just say we go to Cooperstown, or we go to Art Museum, or some famous Carnegie Hall, whatever the case may be. What, what's your favorite place to go? Smithsonian Institute? But, but the bus is waiting for us for lunch. But we don't have time, and we're going to have about 20 minutes. Right, Pastor? About 20, 20 minutes? All right. We've got 20 minutes, and here's the beauty of it. I'm your guide, but I'll be leaving for you to get on the bus to lunch. But you come back, and you can hear from your pastor, your shepherd, the rest of Romans chapter 8. Or even better than that, you have the Holy Spirit. You can go to that museum anytime you like. Romans chapter 8. So here we go. Ready? Here's the first part of it. There is no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life is in Christ Jesus. He sets you free from the law of sin and of death. Get this. For what the law could not do, weak as it is or was through the, fa- through, through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. To be honest with you, I've gone over this over and over. I was going to try to cover four, five, six points today. I could not get past the word condemnation. No condemnation. I just couldn't get by there. To show my age and my taste for music, last night at 7 o'clock, I'm watching the old classic gospel hour. And David Phelps is singing his beautiful voice. But one of the special songs is Amazing Grace. I love Amazing Grace. Love Amazing Grace. But as I'm listening to it, I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, all right, amazing grace, how sweet the sound to save the wretch like me. 
I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. So how can I be so condemned if I was just lost or blind? Why is the treatment so harsh? The definition of condemnation is this. You're accused, you're tried, you're found guilty, you're judged, and you're sentenced. You're accused, you're tried, you're found guilty, you're sentenced. Now you've got, to, you've got to serve. Now, spiritually speaking, what that means is this. We all deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. That's being condemned. And that's what makes chapter 8 so beautiful of a chapter. It starts with no condemnation, verse 1. And verse 39, there's no separation from the love of God. That should change our whole perspective of life. That should change our life completely. If we truly understand there's no condemnation, even though we rightly deserve it, and there's no separation no matter what we do. And right in the middle is there were more than conquerors. And also my favorite verse, and this is for Tice. In fact, I almost... Trey, I almost texted this, but I, I didn't think it was the right thing to do at the right time. It's Romans 8, 28 and 29. For we know that all things work together for good. But I'll get to that in minutes. That'd be stop number three. Stop number one, com- no condemnation. So we deserve to spend eternity away from God. He's a holy and wrathful God, a righteous God, a merciful God. But w- I just wouldn't stumble. I didn't stumble away. I didn't lose my way. I basically turned my back on God and said, I don't want you to be my God. I will be my own God. I will be my own Lord. I don't want you in my life. That's the problem. That's what got us all in trouble. We've turned our back on God. So sin is not that little S, that's that, that kind of that the boo-boo. It's an all-out rebellion on my part. I turned my back on God. I was accused of that, I was tried, and I was found guilty. And now I have to serve my my penalty forever, eternity. Except for one thing, and that's what the pastor mentioned, and one of your elders mentioned, Jesus. Why is this so important? It shows the significance of what we've done and what he's done. Part of our camp is this, when we explain the gospel, it's Ephesians 2, 8, 9, written by the same Paul, through the Holy Spirit, for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of works. It's a gift, lest no man or woman shall boast. So I had one of my leaders say this to the group, uh, for by grace you've been saved. Well, that's partly true, but we've got to continue on, look, look a little bit harder at this. We are saved by grace, but what else? Well, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Now get this. It's not because of faith. That means it's a work. That's even the gift. God has given us the gift of faith by grace to do something. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works. Well, now hear me out. I know we're getting close to the bus. We are saved by works. We are saved by works. We're saved by the works of Christ on the cross. And putting our faith in that, 
allows us to come to him as our Abba Father. For by grace we have been saved through faith, which was the gift. And the faith is that Christ had died on the cross for my sin, past, present, future. He didn't do it to wipe the slate clean for us to start over again. Everything has been forgiven. Here's the term, which, which you've already been studying, justification. That means a legal, one-time, forensic act. You and I have been declared righteous. When God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Wow. If I truly understand condemnation, what I deserve, what Christ has done for me, I don't have to scare a kid of going to hell. If you raise your hand, you won't go to hell. Who wants to not go to hell? Well, you believe in God and you believe in hell, you raise your hand. But it's not a free ticket out of hell. What I would like to do is say, we have an opportunity to spend eternity with God who loved us and gave his only son for us. So rather than me trying to scare them, I want to show them that love and the preciousness of that relationship of God who said, I'll never condemn you because of what Christ did. Well, if that's true, then I can just live my life the way I want to live it. I got my ticket punched. Well, now let's go to the next station. Same chapter, chapter 8, verses 5. But those who are according, but those who are according to the flesh set their minds upon the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Peace with God and peace with others. For the mind of the for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. And in verse 8, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, good good word. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. It indeed the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, he does not belong to him. This is what we call sanctification. Justification, you're to declare righteous before God. You have that imputed righteousness of Christ, justified. You cannot separate justification from sanctification. Sanctification, how to live as a Christian. How to become more and more Christ-like and less and less sinful. Some people try to separate the two, but they're... It's just kind of like peanut butter and jelly. You ain't the same without it. You've got to have both of them. You're justified in Christ, but you live your life for Christ. So I can just live a life I want to if I just say the right prayer? Yes. But here's the problem. When you say the prayer, something happens. You get a new nature. You get the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, in chapter 8... The Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times. Now, any good Bible interpretation, Bible study, look for repetition. So if the scriptures are repeating itself, a word or a phrase, it means, hey, listen, I'm trying to make a point. Well, in chapter 8, Spirit is mentioned 20 times. So here's the deal. Accept Christ. 
God begins to work in my life through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is critical. So I could sin if I wanted to, but I don't want to. If I'm not convicted, if I have no, if I have no idea of what I want to do with my life, if I don't want to go to church, I don't, I'm not interested in spiritual things, something is wrong. And this is what we call you profess, but you don't possess. You make the profession, but you never made a, made a commitment to Christ. Sanctified, justified. Now, I've got to go to the fourth station. You're still with me? All right. This is the fourth station. Chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. This is probably my favorite verse, scripture, in, in, in all the Bible. Uh, Stonewall Jackson is one of the men I studied. Uh, I love Gettysburg. I love Civil War. I love American Revolution. Uh, but I love Gettysburg. And uh, if I had a place to go, I would not be... Uh, I, I might pick Cooperstown first. Um, yeah, but I, I, I absolutely adore being at Gettysburg. And, and uh, one of the men that's so prominent in the war, he was not at Gettysburg, was the name of Stonewall Jackson. And he married late. His first wife died of childbirth, in childbirth, uh, during childbirth, and broke his heart. He remarried, and uh, he was a Presbyterian. He's a deacon, and uh, <clears throat> part of being a deacon in the Presbyterian church back in the 1800s is that uh, everybody was expected to tithe. And if uh, you didn't tithe, uh, one of the deacons would come knock on your door to see what was the problem. And, uh, and this was in Lexington, Virginia. And uh, Stonewall Jackson was one of those deacons that'd be knocking on your door. Saying, Randy, uh, I see you're a little short when you're tithing uh, this month. And uh, can, we, can we help you? And, uh, but his, fame, his, his, his scripture was Romans 8, 28, 29. Listen to this. And this is, this is for Tyson. All right. And we know, not assume, my translation, and, and we know that God causes all things to work together. He causes all things to work together. Now, I don't know how this all works. I know what the scripture says. The, the God does not tempt us with sin. He's not the, uh, the father of lies. Uh, but he is Lord. He... He is aware, only aware, but he causes all things to work together. And here's our problem. You see, we see life in a photo album or a frame of maybe 70, 80, 90 years. God sees it, a picture frame of eternity. So what happens here that we don't understand, God works it together for eternity. And we know that God causes all things to work together to, for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, you've got to marry 29 with verse 28. If you just stop at 28, you've missed the whole point. Now, don't. this is another day for discussion, these words. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that, we might, that he might get the firstborn 
be the firstborn among many brethren. Let me read that again. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. It's kind of like a tapestry. You've seen this before. It's different threads that God uses the black, the white, the gray, the red, the blue together to form a beautiful tapestry. But we can't see all of it. We only see parts of it. But we know this for sure. And here's a good, good way of looking at the scriptures, especially when areas that we don't know the answer. We don't know the why. Look for the who. What is going on here? Well, God, who we know is Lord of all, he's a loving, merciful, holy, just God. He's not caught, caught slumbering or looking away. He causes all things to work together for good. Now, when Tyson went over that in the ATV, that, that vehicle, now I got a call from a good friend of Trey's, and he said to begin to pray for Tyson and his sister. And he explained to me what happened. Well, here's the young boy. How old is he? Eight years old. Eight years old. And he is struggling. He's struggling. If you know what I mean. He's struggling. And we're praying. And I don't know why God allowed this. I mean, no. But God's going to allow it. And so I text him, Trey. He said, we're praying for you. And I just said, you know, I happen to be preaching at your church on June 29th. Trey said, we're going to try to be there. And hey, he's he's here. So, Tyce, you're the man. You're the man. But just a man. The man we follow is named Jesus. And his father's God. And he loves you dearly. He loves you dearly. I'm just about out of time. How God uses tragedy for triumph. Romans 8, 28, 29. Oh, verse 29. The whole point is to make us more like Jesus. I almost forgot that. The whole point of all things work together for good. Those who love him, called according to his purpose, is to make us more like Jesus. So that we may give him all the glory and honor, as Tiffany said. Romans 8, 28, 29. Great life perspective, no matter if it's good or bad. We can say God is control. And all things work together for good. Even though we don't understand it. Again, the picture frame is not 70, 80, 90 years. It's the picture frame is 90, uh, eternity. One thing we really dislike about FCA, we're in all the schools, and this happened, we, we don't like to go to funerals or uh, funeral homes when young men and young women are killed early in their life. This past year, we've gone to 14 Funerals or funeral homes, 14 in a matter of three months. Kid was killed in a car accident. It's been three that committed suicide, took their lives. Uh, I received a phone call. Uh, by the way, I, I, I coached it. I was a baseball coach at Grissom for 28 years and with a group called Young Life. And over those years, I've developed relationships with, with men and women who are now coaches. So... The young man who committed suicide uh, wrestled for James Clemens High School. So this, here, his coach contacted me and said, would you come speak to my team? And I said, I'd love to. So I met in the gym with the kids, and I was sitting on the floor, and, of course, heartbroken. One of their own committed 
Like just, he just couldn't see past today. He took his life because he couldn't see tomorrow. Whew, I wish, you know, I wish, you know, I wish we could be everywhere at all times. I wish we had been in this young man's life early. So I went and spoke to the team, and I shared the gospel. Now, you talk about church and state, separation. Hey, when tragedy, there ain't no separation, church and state. I'm, ta- I'm telling them about Jesus. So at the very end, uh, one of the assistant coaches over here, and I'd never met him before, and he's definitely a wrestling coach. He looks like a wrestling coach. And uh, I said, Coach, uh, I'm so sorry. I said, I don't know you. I said, uh, I'd love to get with you sometime. He said, I'd be fine. And I said, uh, uh, where, where are you during the day? He says, well, I'm coaching here, but I'm assistant. I mean, I'm a substitute teacher at Johnson High School. And I said, uh, really? I said, I'm doing a coach's Bible study. This is what I do. I do Bible studies for coaches before school. I said, I'm going to do a coach's study. I don't call them Bible studies because a coach, he's so intimidated, they won't even come. He's, he's, he's afraid something might happen and embarrass him. So I called it coach's studies. So I said, coach, I'm going to have a coach study at Johnson High School. Meet uh, at 7 o'clock in the morning. I'd love you to come. Well, lo, lo and behold, he came. And so uh, we went through the study. I do it for five weeks. Then I go to another school. And at that fifth week, he was raised in Pennsylvania, unchurched, uh, liked him, but he didn't know anything about Jesus. And uh, at that fifth time, and the, and, and the other was a wrestling coach from New York. And he was there, and it surprised everybody he was there. He was raised in Brooklyn. And, uh, but he was there. And so, so they, at the fifth week, uh, I did the plan of salvation, drew it out, the Roman bridge. And I said, Coach, where are you? He said, I, he said Coach, I'm here. I'm not ready to take that step. And said, I'm not ready to take that step of faith. And so I said, Coach, I understand that. And it's a big step. And I said, will you do me a favor? If I give you an FCA coach's Bible, will you read the book of John one chapter a day, and just ask God if he's truly real, will begin to reveal himself to you. Would you do that, coach? He said, yes, sir, I would. So I went and got him an FCA Bible, which you helped me buy, because you're part of the missions budget. Help me buy. So I said, coach, and I explained to him, John, why I recommend John. He's an eyewitness of Jesus, closest to Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. I said, uh, so I gave him the Bible. I said, on Monday, I said, coach, uh, uh, Please let me know if you have any questions. Monday. Thursday, on Thursday, he texted me and said, Coach, I've got a question on chapter 17. I said, 17? I said, Coach, I want to ask you to read one chapter. It's only been three days. He said, I can't put it down. I can't put it down. He said, what do I read next? I said, well, book of Mark is good. It's a... I came up, give my little spiel, and it was short and to the point, etc. Two days later, what else? I said, well, first, second, third, John. What else? I said, Romans 8. <laughs> he said, I like that one. I went to visit him uh, a, few, a few weeks after that, and I said, well, coach, where are you? He said, I've given my life to Christ. I said, I've never been baptized. I didn't grow up in the church. And uh, I want to grow my faith. See how God uses tragedy for triumph. 
this young man who's now in heaven because he took his life, his own life, he's in heaven. I know his daddy, I know him. But now it's a brand new brother in Christ. And that's good. That's good. Hey, the lunch bus just pulled up. And I'm sorry, but the tour is now over. Again, if you would, chapter 8 of Romans is a great museum. It's a great place to just take your time. 39 verses. You've got the Holy Spirit to teach you. You've got a pastor to lead you. Bottom line is this. We love a God that loves us. And I end with this. The word foreknowledge, it does not mean he knew beforehand. It means he, he purposed to have a relationship with us beforehand. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for a day of worship. Thank you for this beautiful congregation. Thank you for your word. Uh, Father, we pray that this word in, in Romans 8 will become part of who we are internally as well as externally. Thank you for the fact that you love us enough that you purpose to have a relationship before time even began. And you tell us in that last part of Romans 8, there's nothing that will ever separate us from your love. Nothing. Nothing. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.